Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, July 12, 2018. like an old stable of heretics we'll be covering today. Oh, there's a few new guys. Newish. Same heresies, different faces. This is crazy. World's going nuts. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down. Stop. Open up your Bible and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is no shortage of crazy things being said out there, and we take the time to open up God's Word, to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, <gasps> self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, that's the only kind there are nowadays, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of... Uh, Doctrine, yeah, doctrine that's being put out there for consumption. Far from what God's Word says, in fact, it's like not even close. And so many Christians just don't care. In fact, it's more like they they actually would care if these guys actually taught what the truth is because they wouldn't listen to them anymore. No, 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 no. The reason why these folks are so popular is because they're telling people what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. It's a very strange circumstance that we find ourselves in today. And it's getting worse, and it's just getting dumber is the best way I could put it. You know, I, I sometimes muse about the fact that in the ancient church, I mean, there were some very subtle and very slick heresies that they had to contend with that, that were very crazy, nuanced twistings of scripture you know so much so that like the difference between uh, biblical orthodoxy and the arian heresy came down to one letter uh, the letter iota if you've ever heard the phrase not one iota <laughs> yeah that's uh, that comes from the her- the fight against the arian heresy and that thing almost overran the entire church and by the grace of god it was put down. Now it's resurfaced in the uh, Jehovah's Witness uh, religion, uh, which is not Christianity either, not even close. 
But uh, nowadays, it, we, we're not suffering from subtlety or, or really interesting, tiny, minutia twists of scripture that take a little bit of, you know, of, of elbow grease and, and applying yourself mentally to anymore. Now it's it's literally. I mean, people are just saying the most nonsensical stuff. Nobody's checking their Bibles at all, and it's just bizarre. Case in point, we're going to start off with a Joel Osteen update. We weren't able to fill (laughs) – actually, I wasn't able to get everything in that I wanted to for the past couple of episodes of Fighting for the Faith, so I've saved up a few things for this episode. So we're going to be listening to Joel Osteen as he explains to us about hearing – the spirit and the Bible twists on this are like bang your head against a wall, you know, you know, <laughs> smashing my head against the wall. Kind of, it was just crazy, non face palm. That's what the word I was looking for. Face palm bad. It's like it's so obvious if you just open the text that it ain't saying any of the stuff he's saying, and he don't care. Oh no, he's got an entire empire that he's built down there in Houston. Uh, you know, you know, feeding people this this nonsense, which of course they really do want to hear, which is why they fill that stadium up every Sunday. Then uh, we're going to be listening to um, Jeremy Foster uh, from Elevation Church. He was a guest speaker at Elevation Church, and uh, the name of his message is "If You Will, God Will," and it's just a weird twist, but it kind of quintessentially demonstrates. Uh, one of the, uh, the, the the theological errors that we see rampant in evangelicalism, that kind of this idea that God works off of a quid pro quo, is like, <laughs> no, we don't. But anyway, we'll talk about that. And then, uh, you know, somewhere in there, we're going to have to take a break because I don't think we're going to get, uh, you know, I don't think we're going to be able to finish uh, Jeremy Foster without having to take a break. But uh, then we will uh, be doing a, um, a Joyce Meyer update. Mm-hmm. Joyce Meyer update about how to kill your your uh, your giants yeah how to defeat your giants yeah so and the open <laughs> that segment the opening the opening litany that she has i mean she sounds like she's paranoid you know like she's lost touch with like reality and she really thinks there's giants running around the land it's it's bizarre and then hour number 2 we'll be hearing from uh, chris hodges we'll be reviewing his sermon titled Dream again, dream dream again. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. We've got a lot of ground that we need to cover. And since we're going to begin with a Joel Osteen update, let's do this. When I'm feeling lonely, sad as I can be, all by myself an uncharted island in an endless sea. What makes me happy fills me up with glee. Those bones in my jaw that don't have a flaw, my shiny teeth and me. My shiny teeth that twinkle just like the stars in space. My shiny teeth that sparkle and beauty to my face. My shiny teeth that glisten just like the Christmas tree. You know they walk a mile just to see me smile. Shiny teeth and me. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so uh, we're heading over to uh, Lakewood, and we're going to be listening to Joel Osteen as he explains to us about hearing in the Spirit. And not only does the Bible not teach what he says, uh, he's going to be talking about things that are actually sins, <laughs> in the truest sense of the word, for real sins. 
And he's not going to tell people the, the importance of repenting of those sins and being forgiven by the shed blood of Christ, which he shed for us on the cross so that we can be forgiven of our sins. And then, then we would uh, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. No, he doesn't. He didn't talk about that at all. No, it's instead. It's more like this. You know, God's going to tell you you're great even in the midst of you not being great. So you got to believe that you're great, which is not not the way sin is dealt with uh, biblically at all, and it's not at all how Christianity has dealt with sin. So we're going to note that not only is he going to fill these people's heads with nonsense, narcissistically so, about how important they are. Uh, he ain't going to properly deal with uh, with real sin. So let's get to it. Here's Joel Osteen and Hearing the Spirit. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today I will be taught the Word of God. No, no, <laughs> no you won't. Yeah, not at all. I boldly confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same in Jesus name. God bless you. I want to talk to you today about hearing in your spirit. Just as we have physical ears, we have spiritual ears. Which biblical text says that we have spiritual ears? I'd like to see this doctrine laid out in clear and unambiguous biblical passages. God doesn't speak to us out loud normally like we see in the movies. He speaks to us in our spirit. Again, text, please. Where does it say that? God speaks to us through his word, the the written word of God. Now, I didn't cue this up ahead of time, but let me uh, let me go ahead and we create a new tab here in my Accordance Bible software and show you something from 2 Timothy chapter Three, uh, the Apostle Paul, writing near the end of his life, before he was martyred, had beheaded by uh, Emperor Nero of Rome. He writes to a young pastor, Timothy, who is a pastor of uh, one of the congregations in the city of Ephesus, and he says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, and my love, and my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, uh, the which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God. The Greek word there, by the way, is theonoustos. It is God-breathed, and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus gives a, a just a sharp rebuke against the Pharisees and their man-made commandments and says that they're they're literally false doctrines. And here we got a, another passage that is just wonderful. So he says to the Pharisees, he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your man-made tradition. 
Moses said, honor your father and mother. And so here's the, you're going to note, like in the same breath, Jesus says that these commandments that Moses wrote down are a command of God and that Moses himself wrote them down, which is a, a good way of looking at scriptures as being written down by human beings. And yet they anoust us. God breathed, God actually speaking through them. So if you want to hear God speak to you, read the Bible. If you want to hear God speak to you out loud, read the Bible out loud. It's kind of how that works. So what Joel Osteen here is saying regarding hearing God with spiritual ears, the Bible nowhere teaches it, literally not one place. We continue. Many times he will speak things that contradict what we see with our eyes. Maybe you're facing an illness. Doesn't seem like you'll ever get well. You'll hear a voice saying, you're healthy. You're yeah, no, you won't. <laughs> no, no, you won't. This is what he's saying is straight up, not even close to what God's word says at all. No passage says any of this. Strong. Or you're struggling in your finances. You can't seem to get ahead. You'll hear that voice saying, you're blessed. You're prosperous. You have more than enough. It's just the opposite of what it looks like. But God calls you what you are before it happens. What? <laughs> no. When you're sick, God calls you well. When you're addicted, God calls you free. When you're barren, you can't conceive, God calls you a mother. In the scripture, Abraham didn't have any children, yet God called him the father of many nations. Yeah, that had nothing to do with the fact that Christian women are being promised that if they're suffering from barrenness, that God's going to give them physical children. That's not why that's in there. All of that is pointing to the Messiah and all of the barren womb miracles in the Old Testament of women who couldn't bear children and then miraculously were able to, including Sarah, point to Jesus Christ because he was born of a barren womb too because what could be more barren than the womb of a virgin? That's kind of the point is that God is pointing us to Jesus. What, what he, but what Joel do, is doing here is making promises for God that he has not actually made. Gideon was insecure, afraid. He said, God, I can't lead the Israelites. I come from the poorest family. He saw himself as weak, unqualified, yet God called him a mighty hero. Yeah, again, that doesn't mean that somehow God's going to call you a mighty hero. He's taking a descriptive text and turning it into a prescriptive promise, which it most certainly is not. Well, hear things in your spirit that don't make sense to your mind. You'll think I'm not. Yeah, I'm hearing things with my actual physical ears right now coming from the mouth of Joel Osteen that make no sense at all biblically. I still have this addiction. I'm not blessed, Joel. I have all these problems. Now, I'm going to back this up, and I want you to hear this, and this is where you can actually see you know, the, the tattered edges of this so-called doctrine. He's going to talk about somebody who's literally suffering from an addiction. Now, we're, I can just put this out there and, and say it bluntly. People who are suffering from addictions are sinning. Alcoholics are sinners, and they are committing a sin 
a sin that is expressly forbidden by God regarding drunkenness. That's just one example of an addiction. All other addictions have something to do with taking a good gift that God has given us or an illegal thing that we're not supposed to be engaging in at all, and and then literally being enslaved by those things and enslaved by our sinful passions. And so the solution biblically for this problem is to repent, to recognize that this is a sin, and to trust that Jesus Christ has bled and died for these sins, and then bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And so notice what he's going to talk about here, straight up sin, and watch his solution. It ain't biblical at all. It has nothing to do with Jesus and him crucified. In your spirit that don't make sense to your mind, you'll think, I'm not free. I still have this addiction. I'm not blessed, Joel. I have all these problems. Gideon said, I'm not a mighty hero. I'm the least one in my father's house. Abraham said, in effect, I'm not a father of many nations. I don't have one child. But if you're going to see it come to pass, you have to believe what you hear in your spirit and not what you see with your eyes. So if you're going to see it come to pass, you have to believe what you heard in your spirit. People who are hearing voices inside of them need to be institutionalized. And again, nowhere in the Bible are we taught this. You have to walk by faith and not by sight. Your circumstances may look like you'll never get well, never get out of debt, never meet the right person. But if you'll listen down in your spirit, you'll hear a voice saying, healing is coming. No, you won't. <laughs> no biblical text says this. And no, never, nowhere are we told that we have to then listen to a voice inside of us and believe that. And then by believing that voice, the thing will come. No, no text talks like this. You will lend and not borrow. New doors are about to open. Favor is in your future. Don't let what you see with your eyes talk you out of what you've heard in your spirit. God is saying to you what he said to Gideon. You are a mighty hero. No, he's not. Nowhere are we told that God talks to us this way. Another text uh, worth reviewing in this particular context in 2 Timothy chapter 4, right after what we just read about uh, the, the Word of God, God speaking through the Word of God. Uh, Paul then says this to young Pastor Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in kingdom, to preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and they will wander off into myths. And that's exactly what Joel Osteen is doing here. He's telling people what they want to hear. He ain't telling them the truth at all. And, I mean, this is narcissistic to say the least. You're going to accomplish big things. You're going to go further than you've imagined. He's saying to you what he said to Abraham. You're going to have those children. You're going to conceive. Your baby is on the way. Oh, man. I, 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 this is so insensitive to women who actually suffer from barrenness. 
for him to say this and make it sound like, oh, well, God's going to, pro- he's promised me if I, he t- talks inside of my spirit that he's, he's going to make it so that I can, I can have a child. This is, again, God is not making these promises, hasn't made these promises, and is not obligated to keep these promises. Joel Osteen is telling people what they want to hear. He's saying to you what he said to David. You're going to defeat that giant. Yes, that obstacle is big, but you have greatness in you. You are. An- I, I have greatness in me. Take a look back at Mark chapter 7, uh, because Jesus actually talks about what's kind of inside of us. And it ain't greatness, by the way. Uh, this is why we need a Savior like Jesus. So uh, uh, Mark seven fourteen, Jesus called the people to him and said to them, So hear me, all of you, and understand there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not into his heart, but into his his stomach, and then is expelled? Thus Jesus had declared all foods clean. And he said, So what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of a man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within, and they are what defile a person. Joel Osteen is literally saying that God's going to tell you there's greatness inside of you. Yet, no, he he never said that to nobody. Uh, <laughs> not after Adam and Eve fell, that's for sure. So uh, note that he's not confronting them with their sins at all. He's just basically filling their heads with narcissistic nonsense that they're just fantastic and just the apple of God's eye when in reality it's, it's from within comes all of our sin. Pointed, equipped, empowered. He's saying to you what he said to my mother, that cancer is not the end. That sickness is not your final story. Restoration is coming. Things are- yeah, no. Uh, it, death is not the final story of a Christian. Christians have a real hope, and that real hope is in the resurrection of the dead. And nowhere in Scripture are we promised that God will heal us every single time we get sick. About to turn in your favor. Now quit being discouraged by what you see and start being encouraged by what you hear. The Scripture says the things we see are only temporary. But what we hear, what God speaks to us, that's permanent. Yeah, no. And here, I know exactly where this text is. And we're going to take a look at it because uh, what he just said is not at all what that, that Bible text says. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we're going to note that, uh, you know, what he's talking about, the, the text that he made reference to but didn't actually read out is at the tail end of that chapter. So we're going to apply our three rules for sound biblical exegesis, which are context, context, and context, and take a look at what this passage really says. So Joel Osteen is saying that uh, what we see is not permanent, but what God speaks inside of our heart, that's the permanent thing. That's what he just said. So let's check this out from Scripture. 2 Corinthians 4, uh, context starts at verse uh, 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, 
I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also spoke, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So you're going to note here, Paul is basically saying to Christians, all of us, that uh, we are not to look at the circumstances and the afflictions that we're suffering here in this earth because everything you can see, taste, touch, feel, this is transient. It's all going away. God's going to destroy it on the day that Jesus returns in glory to judge the living and the dead. That being the case, we look to the things that are eternal, and the things that are eternal are not seen right now. And so this is not a contrast between the word that God's going to speak in your heart about how great you are as compared to you in your your visible circumstances not being great, which is what Joel Osteen was saying. It, it has to do with... Uh, the transient world that we're in as opposed to the eternal life that we are looking forward to receiving, our hope in Christ. Now I'm going to back Joel Osteen up a couple of uh, seconds because I want you to hear how he twisted that text in context. Now quit being discouraged by what you see and start being encouraged by what you hear. The scripture says the things we see are only temporary, but what we hear, what God speaks to us, that's permanent. No, the unseen things are eternal, not what God speaks into our heart. So he just straight up twisted this text. Isn't any wonder they didn't actually put the reference to where that biblical passage was up on the screen. Did you see it? It wasn't there. And the reason why is because if anybody knew how to read and could find that text handily uh, while he was preaching this, they would have known that he was not telling the truth. One translation says, the things we see are subject to change. That sickness may look permanent. The truth is, it's subject to change. One touch of God's favor, suddenly you'll be well. That addiction you've struggled with for years. And there it is. This is a sin. This is, he's describing straight up sin. Addictions are sinful. And he's not calling them to repent and to be forgiven and bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He's not teaching biblical sanctification for people who are legitimately sinning against God and their own bodies through these addictions and others. No, he's just saying, no, you're going to hear a voice on the inside of you saying, you're not addicted, you're free. Listen to what he says. I'll back this up just a smidge. Suddenly you'll be well. That addiction you've struggled with for years looks like that's your destiny. Don't believe that lie. It's subject to change. How about repent? Be forgiven. Christ bled and died on the cross for those sins. You feel like you're stuck, not getting good breaks, not seeing any growth. Stay in faith. It's subject to change. God has the final say. He said the path of the righteous 
Your path gets brighter and brighter. If you'll listen, you'll hear that voice saying, new levels are coming. No, no biblical text says that a voice is going to tell you that new levels are coming. He's literally just making this up. New opportunities, new relationships. First Kings chapter 18, there was a great drought. It hadn't rained. In now, this is another fantastic twist here on his part. I mean, it's just jaw-droppingly stupid how badly he's twisting this text. And nobody there cares. Nobody even there understands at all. They have no understanding of the Bible in such a way that they can defend themselves even against the most bizarre and patently obviously you know, twisting of Scripture. It's, they, they, they don't even do it there. Listen to this. For three and a half years, the crops had dried up. The food supply was limited. People were worried. They didn't know what they were going to do. The prophet Elijah came along and told the king, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. Everywhere he looked, it was dry, barren, no trees, no vegetation. It had been that way for years. I'm sure the king thought, Elijah, this heat is getting to you. You're hearing things. There's no thunder. There's no sound of an abundance of rain. It's just the way it's always been. But that's the way God is. In a- now, now, let's take a look at just some of the details of this story. First Kings chapter 17, we have the first appearance of Elijah. And here's what it says. Now, Elijah, the, uh, the Tishbite of Tishba in Gilead, said to Ahab, As Yahweh, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the, the important thing here, when you take a look at the broader context of what's going on in First Kings at this time, is that Israel was worshiping the false god Baal. And the story behind Baal is he was the god of the air. He was the god who brought the rains. And so Yahweh basically sent the prophet Elijah and said, it ain't going to rain until I say so, which is a way of proving your false deity Baal isn't even real. And so it didn't rain until Elijah said so. And if you read the story in 1 Kings 17 and 18, Elijah literally skedaddles out of Israel and is gone for three years and then is sent back by God after three years. And that's when the whole showdown between Elijah, the one prophet of God, and the false prophets of Baal on the top of Mount Carmel occurred which is a you know just a fantastic text against idolatry and uh, and it shows that Baal was never a true deity and that he was never the one who brought the rain it was always the it was always the god of Israel the one true god who brought the rain so what what Joel has done is like he's gutted his, of its of of all of its meaning and has, just kind of jumps to the end without explaining the beginning of the story and says so Elijah said to Ahab, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. Well, that was right after uh, Elijah had slaughtered all of the prophets of Baal after their God was unable to send fire to consume their their offering on the top of Mount Carmel. But Yahweh did. So, you know, he just left all of that out as if somehow the whole point of the story in, in 1 Kings 17 and 18 is that God's going to speak into your heart. And like, he, and like Elijah said, I hear an abundance of rain. There's going to be favor and new levels and nonsense like this coming your way. 
nothing could be further from the truth. This guy, I mean, this this narcissistic twisting, I, I it literally is so demonic. It is so self-focused. It's literally satanic in its, in its emphasis. Drought, God will talk to you about rain. In lack, he'll talk to you about abundance. When you feel insignificant, like you could never make much out of your life, he'll talk to you about greatness. Where in scripture does it say any of this? What have you done with Jesus, the biblical one, the real one? He'll put things in your spirit that seem impossible to accomplish. Or when you're lonely, you don't think you'll ever meet the right person. He'll talk to you about a divine connection. He, He will. Where does God promise to do that? Speaks to your spirit about what's coming. But very often, it's just the opposite of what our circumstances look like. You heard abundance, but all you can see is lack. You heard healing, all you can see is sickness. Or you heard new levels, all you can see is more of the same. Yeah, God ain't talking inside of your heart. Read your Bible. The question is, whose report are you going to believe? What you saw with your eyes or the report of the Lord, what you heard in your spirit? This is like a formula for like creating mental illness. Like Elijah, I hear the sound of breakthroughs. The sound of freedom, the sound of healing. I hear the sound of new levels, the sound of abundance. God is about to do a new thing. He's going to exceed your expectations. You may not see any sign of it. Everything looks the same. Get ready. The rain is coming. What you heard is on the way. Mm -hmm. So that's apparently the gospel that he preaches. And I would remind anybody who listens to this fellow what Scripture actually says about those who preach a false gospel. Because what he said is not the good news that Christians are to proclaim. And yet he's, he acts like he's the deliverer of great news, that you know, new levels and abundance and health and all. It's on the way. Just listen to the voice inside of you. Yet the Apostle Paul, who was actually an apostle of Jesus Christ, sent by Jesus Christ, says this to the churches of Galatia who had believed a false gospel. He said, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. Damned is what that literally means, anathema. And as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be a curse, anathema, damned. That's literally what he's saying. And so what is the gospel that Paul preached? It wasn't that God's going to speak abundance into your heart or nonsense like that. Uh, no, you can find what uh, what the gospel that Paul preached because he laid it out for us in 1 Corinthians 15. And here's what he writes. Uh, I, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless, of course, you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve 
And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles, and last of all, to one untimely born. He appeared also to me. The good news that Christians are to proclaim is not that God's going to speak greatness into your heart. The good news that Christians are called to proclaim is that Christ died for your sins and that he rose again bodily on the third day after he was crucified. And this is what the eyewitnesses record for us. This is the good news that Christians are to proclaim. And Joel Osteen is preaching a completely false gospel. And I'll be blunt, I am 100% convinced that he is under the condemnation of Galatians 1, of the one who preaches a gospel contrary to the one that was preached by the apostles. Because his gospel, Joel Osteen's gospel, that's no gospel at all. It is filling people's heads with nonsense, teaching doctrines that he has no authority to teach. He's making promises for God that God never made. And all along the way, he's twisting God's word and mangling it in order to make it appear like it teaches all this nonsense that he's spewing. And if he doesn't repent of his false teaching, then the condemnation of Galatians 1 will fall on him. And he will not spend eternity with Christ in heaven and a new earth. He'll spend eternity in the lake of fire. Keep that in mind. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we'll be listening to Jeremy Foster. If you will, God will. And then we'll be checking in with Joyce Meyer. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss him. We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> presents Church Day Select. Come in. Hello, I'm here for my two o'clock appointment. Yes, Mrs. Staley, is it? That's me. Have a seat. So, what is it I can do for you today? I was hoping that I could upgrade my prayer account today. That is excellent. Let me just look up your information. It looks like you've been with us for about three years. That's right. And you're currently a member of a spiritual growth prayer package. Yes. Well, that's not good. What's not good? It says here that your account even after three years of accumulated dream interest, is still classified at a micro-prayer level. What does that mean? It means that your current dream-destiny balance is non-existent. It, it says that you've experienced zero spiritual growth. That's very disturbing. 
There must be some kind of mistake. Well, we can easily fix this. I'm just going to pull up your pre-appointment questionnaire. Okay. It says here that you pray at least four to six times a week. That's good. You tie 10% of your income to your local church. That's very good. You're happily married. You have two children and... Oh. What's oh? Well, in the career box, you put an A. Well, I'm a stay-at-home mom. So what you're saying is that you don't have a real job. It certainly feels like a real job to me. Okay, then. So what can we do to fix my account balance? For starters, we'll go over your current dream projections for the next fiscal church year. That'll give us a baseline to work from. So, what are your big plans for this year? Well, I'm currently trying to potty train my two-year-old by summertime. Uh Uh-huh. I'm trying to grow my own vegetables in my back garden. Okay. And my husband and I are also saving up money to fix our roof. Well, then. That explains a lot. What do you mean? It's painfully clear to me that you're simply not dreaming big enough. Not big enough? Well, the doy. Potty training, vegetables, and roofs are chump change and are simply unworthy of a mega prayer account. Oh, so what do you suggest I do? Well, first things first, you're going to need to get a real career. It really doesn't matter as long as it's related with fame, fortune, or glory. Uh... Secondly, you need to rid yourself of these pathetic micro-prayers. God doesn't have time to listen to such puny little things. What would be your current dream car? Probably a minivan, so I could have enough room for the kids and groceries. I think I just threw it in my mouth a little bit. Okay, instead of a... Minivan, uh, why not pray for a Maserati? I couldn't afford the insurance. That's what the career is for. See, you're so trapped by your own micro-dreams that you can't see your potential. I don't want a career. I love being a stay-at-home mom. (laughs) I can't believe what I'm hearing. No wonder you've experienced zero spiritual growth. I bet you're the type of person that prays for daily bread and and for the forgiveness of their sins. Why, yes, actually. (laughs) Get out of my office! Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Hey, you. 
Yeah, you, listening to this program right now. Have you ever found yourself wishing there was more Fighting for the Faith content that you could listen to and share with your friends? Well, you're in luck, because we now at Pirate Christian Media have a YouTube channel that we upload content to on a weekly basis. We got programs like Twist Busters, You Don't Have to Be a Cessationist, Messed Up Church, Exclusive Skype Interviews, Pirate Gang Conversations, and our most popular segment, Dumpster Fire. So if you're looking for some extra pirate Christian media goodness in your life, head on over to YouTube and search for Fighting for the Faith and subscribe. Listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that God's not going to speak about how great you are on the inside of you, talking to your spiritual ears, because he doesn't. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us. It's a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. Rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster, $99.95 a month. Uh, Joining our crew, great way to support us. If you'd like to become a patron on Patreon, click on the Become a Patron button. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, click on the Donate button. And if you'd like to support us the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. And then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code. 58208 and let me thank you for your support we truly cannot do what we are doing here without it all right moving along uh let's uh do this for our uh jeremy foster update i didn't know you was gonna start out with looking for a city built above looking for a city the key changes on that one. All right, so uh, we're heading over to Elevation Church, and we're going to be listening to Jeremy Foster's uh, special guest speaker there. And uh, as we listen to him, he's going to tell us about how great Miles Monroe <clears throat> was. 
Um, uh, that that guy was a you know money grubbing, scamming televangelist and a false teacher extraordinaire. Uh, so Jeremy Foster is a wolf. I mean, you know, by his own admission, without even really saying it, he it proves that he's a wolf. But uh, he's going to be spewing a doctrine that is very common within evangelicalism, and it's this idea that God kind of works off of a quid pro quo. Quid pro quo is a fancy Latin phrase that means this for that. And so the idea is, is that God wants to help you. God, you know, but you got to do your part. You, 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 you see, you got to do your thing, and then God will do his thing. But you got to do your thing first because you got to show God that you're serious, that you're doing your thing before he'll want to do his thing. But that's not what the scriptures teach. It will note how he twists the Bible in the process. If you want to open up to James chapter 4, uh, we'll be looking at verse 8, but we'll, we'll put it back in context as we do our fact-checking on Jeremy Foster. But uh, here's Jeremy Foster preaching for Stephen Furtick at Elevation Church. Here we go. Have you here? James chapter 4, verse 8. We're going to jump right into the Word. It says this, Come close to God, and God will come close to you. This is a promise. How many of you love the promises of God? Yeah, now, you're going to know. And by the way, if you were to go back and listen to the sermon in context, that is the jump-off point where he stops talking about himself and literally begins the sermon. And so he takes a look at James 4, verse 8, with no context. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. There you go. See, you got to do your part, and then God will do his part. Yeah, the three rules, again, for sound biblical exegesis are context, context, and context. And here's what James writes to Christians. Uh, James 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. This is a call for Christians to repent. Uh-huh. To renounce the devil in his ways, to submit themselves anew to God, to resist the devil so that he will flee from them. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. You see, this is a call to repent. But taken out of context, draw near to God and he's going to draw near to you. Oh, that sounds pretty practical. Yeah, I I could use God drawing near to me. I mean, there's some things I could really use in my life, like a new car and uh, upgrade in my finances and things like that. Is that what you mean? Yeah, watch what he does. 
I get fired up about the promise. Come close to you. God will come close to you, but it's also a process. Sometimes we just get excited about the promises, right? Oh, I want the promises of God. I want love and joy and peace. Woo-hoo! I could preach about that. You guys would be fired up. And then I start talking about hard times and going through struggles. And you're going to have to go through some tough times to get there. And you're like, because we don't like process. We love promise. Process is a challenge. But you can't get a promise without a process. Let me help you. What? You can't get a promise without a process? What are you talking about? That's not at all what James 4 is referring to. I love I love biceps. I would love to have biceps. I chose jean jacket today because Pastor Stephen has biceps. I do not. It's whatever. Hush. I love biceps, but I also love bagels. Come on. I'm just saying, I want my wife to look at me and say, what a man. But also like, what a burger. So it's just... Process and promise. You, you, have, you have to go through a process to get the promise. In fact, hundreds of times throughout the scripture, we find reference kind of, if you will, God will. Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll knock and the door will be. But you have to do something first and then it comes into your world. It's process. It's, it's when I align myself with what God is doing, then it opens my assignment for me. Okay, now that was a key phrase. When I align myself with what God is doing, then God will do something. This is uh, the, the theology of Henry Blackaby. Now, it's been a little updated, and it's obviously he's not teaching through Blackaby's book here, but this is the theology of Henry Blackaby. And so now we see what he's really referring to. He's not referring to sanctification. He's not referring to repenting of sins as James was referring to, because that's exactly what he was talking about. No, instead, what uh, what Jeremy Foster here is referring to is aligning yourself with the thing that God has said or is doing so that you can be part of the process of what he's up to. Yeah, Henry Blackaby's theology. I'm going to back him up just a couple smidges in so that you can hear that again. Receive, seek, and you'll knock and the door will be. But you have to do something first, and then it comes into your world. It's process. It's it's when I align myself with what God is doing, then it opens my assignment for me. Mm, when I align myself with what God is doing, it opens my assignment. What does that sentence even mean? In fact, that's what I'm going to preach this weekend. Alignment determines assignment. If I align with what God is doing in the world, if I align with what God is doing at our church and the blessings that's on our church will come into my life. Pastor Stephen's vision here at Elevation is love week. I want to jump in. I want to be all in on that because then the blessing that's coming on this church flows into my family. What? The blessing? So alignment equals assignment. You, you want an assignment from God, you got to get aligned. And notice then here, that there uh, apparently uh, there's a super special anointing assignment thingy that Elevation Church has received from God. Has has your church received the super special assignment thingy like Elevation Church has? Yeah, you probably go to one of those really ordinary churches, you know, where the pastor you know preaches the word and 
and they don't have any super special assignments and stuff. And so you're, you're going to note then that this theology that he's spewing is being used for the purpose of create, you know, adding to the false narrative that, oh, there's special assignments that you can receive from God. And at Stephen Furtick, he properly aligned himself and got one of these special assignments. And, and the people at Elevation Church, they get to participate in the super special assignment from God. But, you know, that, but if you want to be part of this, you've, you've got to align yourself with it, too. If I get into alignment with what God is doing, a lot of us pray, oh, God, bless what I'm doing whenever we actually need to do what he's already blessing. I want to be in a- oh, so don't ask God to bless what you're doing. No, no, no. You've got to find what God's blessing and be a part of it. Again, this is Henry Blackaby's theology. Alignment with my family, and then God will bless my marriage. I want to be in alignment with my career, and then God will bless my career. Alignment determines assignment. I learned a lot about this from, from a mentor that I got. By the way, uh, James 4.8 doesn't say this and doesn't teach this, and that's not what James meant when he said, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. That was in the context of repentance. And now he's going to tell us about one of his major theological mentors who is one of the world's most notorious heretics. Spent some time with before he left this planet, Dr. Miles Monroe. And if you've never heard of Dr. Monroe, Google him. Get some. Yeah, I know all about him. A false teacher, word of faith, heretic extraordinaire. Gone to eternity to receive his reward for his false gospel. Stuff on the kingdom, just powerhouse, not just a pastor and preacher, but also a diplomat who traveled all over the world. In fact, when I first met him, we were in Houston, Texas, and he was speaking to business leaders in Houston at 5 p.m. And then at 7 p.m., he was preaching at a church. And then the next morning, he was flying out to South Africa to address the South African Congress. So truly a Renaissance man who had a powerful anointing. And it was my job that day to host Dr. Monroe. So I picked him up from the airport, flew in on the private plane. He was from the Bahamas. And I picked him up, and I was in a black SUV. I wore a suit jacket. I like talked into my sleeve. I was like, the eagle has landed. There was nothing there, but it made me feel important. I got him in the truck. I got him to the place. He spoke and he spoke and he kept speaking. He spoke for a long time. It was all good, but I was thinking Houston traffic. I have to get this man from South Houston to Northeast Houston. And it's going to take me at least 45 minutes. And he's still talking. I need him to stop talking, Lord. And if you know Houston traffic at all, then you know, like at 430, the Holy Spirit's like, I'm out. (laughs) And this city falls into chaos for like the next three hours. Like people are screaming at each other. And then the Holy Spirit comes back and it's like, settle, you know. (laughs) So it's like, man, we got to go. And finally he finishes talking. He comes out, he gets in the truck. I put him in the truck and, and right before I floor it, you know, he says, wait just a minute. (laughs) Sure. He said, I believe we have a police escort. I was like, okie doke. But on the inside, I was like, I don't need a police escort, bro. I'm country. I'll bow and Luke Duke this beast. I'll jump a ditch, put it in four-wheel drive. We're going to get there, bro. But I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I was like, okay, doctor. Houston version of chips pulled up on their motorcycles. <laughs> we have a lot of law enforcement at our church. Love you guys. Oh. <laughs> he walked over and he's, he just looks at me and goes, Stay with me. I was like, winking the gun. All right, I'm with you. This dude pulls out, flips on his siren, pulls out, like pulling four G's, getting out of the parking lot. And I like literally. See, I'm convinced that uh, men like Jeremy Foster and others in the Seeker Driven movement, that they spend far more time studying stand up comics and their delivery 
uh, timing and things like that than they do actually studying God's word. This guy has, is just entertaining the folks at Elevation like you couldn't believe, and he's already egregiously twisted God's word and patently, obviously, teaching false doctrine. But it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter to them at all. I mean, because he's making them laugh. And see, that's how you can tell whether or not somebody's a good speaker is based on how they, how they make you feel. So he's making them laugh so he can tell them whatever false doctrine he wants. You're... Alignment equals your assignment. You know, James 4.8, you know, which is not what James 4.8 teaches at all. Y'all, we're doing 90 miles an hour on 45 North. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. I've always wanted to go crazy fast. And now I'm with the law. So it's cool. I'm like waving at people like, God bless you. These dudes are parting traffic like Moses parted the Red Sea. It was amazing. And then they come up behind this one car that won't move over. You know, you know, one of those late model Impalas that used to be a cop car. That's not a cop car anymore. You know what I'm talking about? The ones that pull up behind you and you're like, oh, Jesus. Oh, God, right now. Lord, I'll quit cussing God right now. I'm going to quit it. <laughs> I'm going to quit it. And then they pull up and it's like a mom with like four kids eating tacos in the back. If that's you, I rebuke that lying spirit on you right now. Paint your car. Get the mirror and the, and the light off the side of it. Fooling people. This police officer gets so mad, he slides his bike sideways and he slaps the back of that guy's car. Dude, like, swerves all over the road, pulls over. The police officer says some very life-giving things to him as he goes by. <laughs> Dr. Monroe never looks up from his Bible, y'all. And he says this to me. He look, he's looking down and he goes, did you see that? <laughs> like, I saw my life flash before my eyes, Doc. <laughs> I didn't say that. I was like, yes, sir. He said, what you have just seen is the difference between power and authority. He said, in your vehicle, you have all the power that you want to get anywhere you want to go, but it is your alignment with the authority in front of you that opens doors for you that you cannot open by yourself. Uh-huh. So now we've got uh, the... He's channeling the uh, <clears throat> dead spirit of Miles Monroe to make his point, but the theology he's spewing here or channeling is not found anywhere in scripture. On the outside, I said, good doctor. On the inside, I said, because ah! I come from church. I'm trying to help you understand this Bible is not a book of destiny. It's a book of decisions. God, what? is in charge of your destiny, but he's put you in charge of your destination. And if you align your... What on earth? Which biblical text says that? Listen to it again. A book of destiny. It's a book of decisions. God is in charge of your destiny, but he's put you in charge of your destination. And if... Which scripture passage says that? Align your life with what God is doing. It will open doors for you that you can't open for yourself. And people will look at you and say, how are you getting so blessed? I don't even know. I'm looking at your life and I don't see anything that should have peace. But you got a smile on your face and you're sleeping good. Uh-huh. Yeah, that has nothing whatsoever to do with what James 4, 8 is saying. This guy... Just like Joel Osteen is scratching, itching ears, and everybody is rewarding him greatly for doing that. Telling them what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. And none of the, none of the stuff he said is an actual biblical doctrine. 
Wow. Moving along. You got to accentuate the positive elim, monate the negative, and latch on to the affirmative. Don't mess with Mister In Between. You got to spread joy up to the maximum, bring gloom down to the minimum. Have faith or pandemonium libel. Walk upon the sea to illustrate my last remark. Jonah in the whale, Noah in the ark. What did they do? Just when everything looked so dark, man, they said we better accept you ain't the positive. All right, so uh, that's our Joyce Meyer update music. We're heading over to Joel Osteen's Lakewood Church, where Joyce Meyer uh, did one of her uh, weekend seminars, and she's going to talk to us about how to defeat the giants in our life. And and it, this is just an absurd twisting of the story found in First Samuel 17, uh, which, by the way, I need to remind everybody, David actually for real fought a giant named Goliath. And Goliath is not an allegory about difficulties in your life. That is a complete narcissistic twisting of Scripture that uh, is quite prevalent today. We cover it from time to time here at uh, Fighting for the Faith. Here is Joyce Meyer explaining how to defeat the giants in your life. Here we go. I started last night talking to you about defeating giants. How many of you have a giant chasing you around right now? No, I <laughs> no, I, I, I don't. Um, and if I did have a giant chasing me around, I'd probably call the authorities. I have a cell phone, mm-hmm. and uh, and maybe you know might pull out my karate or something like that. You know, just to, to fend off the giant. Until the authorities arrived to save me from the giant. So I mean, what a what a weird question. Everyone's in there going, "Yeah, I got giants chasing me around all over the place right now." This is this is nonsense. Now you know, there's all kinds of giants. There's little giants, medium-sized giants. Whoa, 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 whoa. If there's little giants, they would cease to be giants. Yeah, that would be kind of like, you know, you've ever heard of jumbo shrimp? Yeah, that's that's an oxymoron. A small giant. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I doubt the existence of such a thing. There's big giants, really big giants. And then there's some of those giants that you feel like has just taken up residence in your life. Yeah, I got a giant. It's, it's living in one of the spare bedrooms of my house. It keeps eating my food out of my fridge and it's really starting to get expensive i wish this giant would get out of my this is nonsense they've gotten themselves a room decorated it they're quite comfortable and they're kind of what would a giant decorate you know you know if your giant took up residence in your spare room in your house 
how would he decorate it? I mean, you know, we, you know, we'd put up like NBA, you know, posters and stuff like that. What would a giant do? I mean, I'm sure giants would do well in the NBA. I mean, they'd be able to, you know, palm it and just, you know, they wouldn't even have to jump to dunk. They could just just toss it in, you know. And you know, they have no intention of leaving. No. You know, one of the things that I find when I'm going through something, and you can let me know if you feel the same way. And, and now she's preaching from her own life. I find that one of the lies the devil just keeps pounding at me mm-hmm. is this is never going to go away. You know, sometimes mentally we think we can handle something if it's going to be a week or two weeks or maybe even a month. But when you get... Yeah, by the way, First Samuel 17 talks about an actual giant named Goliath. He was not a allegorical giant. He was a... Legitimate one, historically speaking. David actually did defeat him. Actually, God defeated him because God gets all the credit there in the text. And David did get to cut his head off and stuff. Yeah. Something that just hangs on and hangs on and hangs on and hangs on. And especially if it's something hurting you. I think one of the fears that the enemy tries to get us with is what if this never goes away? Anybody ever hear that? What if this lasts forever? But you know something? They always come to an end. Well, you know, uh, not always. Um, Sometimes you come to an end. Yeah, it's just legit. Since she's allegorizing difficulties in in people's lives, I mean, I'm assuming that, you know, a a chronic illness or something like that or a mortal, you know, a a fatal disease would qualify as a so-called giant which is, again, this is not what First uh, Samuel 17 is about at all. Uh, but that being the case, sometimes the, uh, the illness doesn't end. You, you, you do. Um, that's why the death mortality rate for Christians is still 100%. Mm-hmm. Until Jesus returns, that's the case. It be something else right on its heels, but it comes to an end. And last year, I had a particularly challenging year because I had two surgeries within seven months. Now, I'm going to note something. This lady, earlier on in her career, was a parrot. And I mean that in the truest sense. Polly Cracker says the same thing. She was a parrot for uh, Kenneth Hagin's Word of Faith heresy. She was a name-it-and-claim-it, blab-it-and-grab-it, full-blown Word of Faith heretic. And now she, her life hasn't really panned out so well. You know, she had two surgeries last year. Ah, how come she didn't blab it and grab it? How come she didn't name it and claim it? Hmm? I had a hip replaced, and then as soon as I got that over with, I started having a pain here in my leg, and we thought it was the hip that was still giving problems. Turns out it was something in my back, which I think really was the problem all along, and I probably wouldn't have had to have the hip replaced. But the point is, is not only did she not, she was she not able to call in a healing from God using her words. It sounds to me like the doctor got it wrong. Wow, so much for the word of faith heresy. For about ten months, I had quite a bit of pain. And I kept doing everything I was supposed to do. You know, when you do what I'm doing, you just you don't just not show up. You don't just say, sorry, I can't come. You press through and you do it. And so one of the things that I really had to stand against 
was that lie, what if you're like this forever? And I kept saying, I declared like Joel's book, I declare, I kept. Yeah, those declarations, they didn't work out for you, did they? And yet she's going to talk about defeating giants. Yet, by her own admission in the introduction of this message, where she's already twisted God's word by allegorizing Goliath, that uh, that she's admitted that uh, her declarations didn't work. She ended up having to have surgery, and it was probably the wrong one. Saying this is going to come to an end. This is going to turn out all right. This is going to come to an end. And I want to encourage you to do the same thing in your life. My oldest son was an absolute nightmare for me to raise. Notice she's not teaching a text here. Now, she's, she's exegeting parts of her life. But her life is not recorded in the pages of Scripture. Anybody got a kid that you love but you don't like? Come on, let's be honest. You know, we, we do, we, we love our kids, but truth is, is sometimes we don't always like them all. And the interesting thing about this boy was he probably out of all of them is the most like me. And so a lot of times we don't like them because we see ourselves in them and we don't want to admit it. And I mean, I thought that boy was going to drive me crazy. I couldn't hardly wait for him to leave home. When he graduated and said he was going to go away to Bible college, I was like, yes, go. We had, then he came to work for us, and I thought, that was going to drive me nuts. And, but you know what? Now, he's the CEO of all of our world missions and has done... You know, they were talking about water wells this morning, and we just dug our 1,000th water well around the world. And yeah, how many people have been brought to penitent faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins through your world missions? Yeah, I, I'm not saying that, you know, fresh water wells are not an important thing. Yeah, that's a good work, especially for those people who do not have access to fresh water. But missions in the truest sense, is about preaching the gospel and people being brought to faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and eternal life and then bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. Everyone wants to say, oh, a thousand water wells. Okay, yeah, how many of them are going to be in, in eternity with Christ as opposed to the lake of fire? He's been personally involved in all of that. So I just, I'm just trying to encourage you that whatever kind of giants you have in your life, I don't have any giants. My life is blissfully giant-free and has been the whole time, all 50 years. Giant-free. Yes, yes, yes. You've got what it takes. Come on. You've got what it takes to make it through. To I've got what it takes to make it through. Over and again, I learned in Scripture to pray. Lord, I without you, I got nothing. You know, um, what are you talking about? Come out victorious on the other side. So uh, I'm going to the other side of what? Where? You know, Christ is the one who won the victory and uh, we're in him and we're going to be resurrected. Everything you see is going away, including my own body. I'm going to die someday. Our lives are like a vapor. Yeah, yeah. 
So I think you kind of get the point. But you know, she's going to end up reading out you know part of you know First Samuel seventeen, and she's already twisted it because the First Samuel seventeen is not a parable; it's an actual historical account. It's not an allegory about you facing giants in your life. It is a type and shadow of Christ's victory over the devil. Let me kind of clue you in on how this works. The scriptures are about Jesus. And at the time that uh, the the encounter between David and Goliath took place, the genealogy of Jesus Christ had come up to David and no further. He was still a, a boy and had no children of his own. And so you can kind of t- say it this way, because Scripture talks this way, that... Um, that Jesus was still in the loins of his great-great-great-grandfather, David. By the way, the book of Hebrews teaches us to think in these terms. And so the Messiah is the one who uh, came on the battlefield that day. And it was a wonderful victory. Think of it this way. None of the people of Israel and none of the soldiers there could defeat this, this tyrant, this giant who was basically slandering them and taunting them day after day, no one was able to go against him. In the same way, no one is able to go against the devil. But the Messiah stepped on the battlefield that day and defeated the foe that nobody could defeat. And in so doing, he ended up cutting off his head, which evokes the promise of Genesis chapter 3, where God said to the serpent that the Messiah, the, the coming seed of the woman, would crush the head of the serpent. Yeah, it's, it's again, it's a wonderful type and shadow that points to the ultimate victory that it was won by Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. So I think you get the idea. But the, it's not about you and defeating giants. In fact, if you sit there and think there's practical applications for me about defeating the giants in my life, you know, I just got to find my five smooth stones. Yeah, tell me what those are. Uh huh. And what do you do when you miss? You, you see, it's just it's ridiculous because this is not a text about you defeating giants. It's about a text pointing to the the one who would defeat the tyrant who we are all subjected to because of our sin, and that's the devil. And that victory comes through Christ, and he's the one who won that, not you, not me. In the meantime, we do suffer. We experience pain and suffering and illnesses and terrible relationships and things like that. We are taught to humbly pray to God to help us through our sufferings, to vindicate us in the face of you know the trials and persecutions and, and that we, we go through. And we look to him. Who uh, who raised Jesus from the dead, knowing that even when our di- when our present bodies expire and we die, that w- to be absent with the bo- from the bodies to be present from the Lord, or present with the Lord, and that there's a day coming when we will experience the resurrection, where we will be united with eternal bodies and we will live forever on on a new, on a new earth. I mean, all of this is what we look forward to. Our hope is in the coming earth, n- nothing to do with this present one in the in the present one we walk by faith not by sight looking forward to the hope of the new one it's weird all the false teachers you know the prosperity preachers and the word of faith heretics they always have you focused on the here and the now and when they uh, try to apply the the theology that they're telling you that you've got to apply to your life it doesn't seem to work for them either because <laughs> it ain't biblical it's not supposed to work it's not even true hope you got the point All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, 
you can do so. My email address is talkbackandfightingforthefaith.com. Or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. Heading out to Church of the Highlands as we listen to Chris Hodges explain about dreaming again. Yeah, I have no idea what that means. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Your words have no power to create reality. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. High Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hey everyone, it's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's Coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society and it's, it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical. Somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee and it'll arrive at your door in a convenient resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out! Alright, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review Time. Have you noticed how nobody is rightly handling God's Word anymore? Nobody cares. The more you twist it up, the happier they are. It's the strangest phenomenon. It's like a strong delusion or something has set in. But let's do this right. Hey, ho! 
the good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's uh, sermon comes to us via Church by the Glades. Chris Hodges presiding. Uh, name of the message is Dream Again. Listen to the description on this thing. Here's what it says from their website. God often communicates through dreams and visions, but what do you do when you've stopped dreaming? Learn how to stir your faith and dream big again. Yeah, none of what I said is actually taught in Scripture, nor are we told to do this. So uh, get ready for some Bible twisting. That's what we're going to be listening to. Let me back off on the music. And here's Chris Hodges in Dream Again. Here we go. We are in week number five of a series that we just simply call Summer at Highlands, where we just bring you uh, random messages that are on our heart uh, and kind of prepare you for some of the different events that are taking place. Yeah, random messages on your heart. That's the last thing I want to hear. Acts, and if you didn't bring an, a Bible, look on your iPhone or your iPad, or you can use your eyelids right here, everybody. All right, we'll show you some verses. I got them right here if you forgot all of that. And, uh, and I wanted to share with you a text uh, today uh, of a message that's been kind of stirring in my heart. I've spoken on this in various ways before. I want to bring you something new and fresh today. But Now, when a uh, evangelical pastor says this has been stirring on his heart, that's a way of trying to say that God is the one to tol- that told me to preach this. Yeah, he's claiming some form of inspiration. He, he's yielding to the, the, the directing work of the Holy Spirit. And so what he's saying is what God wants him to say, but it's not really found in Scripture. So why would God want you to say something that isn't really taught in the Bible? Show you some verses. I got them right here if you forgot all of that. And, uh, and I wanted to share with you a text uh, today uh, of a message that's been kind of stirring in my heart. I've spoken on this in various ways before. I want to bring you something new and fresh today, but it's a big idea. It's a big, important idea that will make your Christian life vibrant and successful. And it's really important. And I really believe if there's any one area that the enemy would try to steal out of your life, uh, it would be this area. I'm going to take you to the story of the birthing of the early church in the book of Acts. If you know much about your Bible in the New Testament, the the first four books are four different accounts of the same story of the life of Jesus, just through the lens of four different people through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But the fifth book of the Bible in the New Testament is the book of Acts. It's a historical record of the birth of the first church 2,000 years ago. And what's interesting is, is the church was birthed with an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, that outpouring has been defined and in some ways, in my mind, misaligned sometimes to become something different from what God wanted it to be. And I want to show you what I believe that day is really all about. In Acts chapter 2, verse 14, Peter, after this outpouring happened, stood up and he raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Watch this. And he said, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, as we Cajuns say, let me explain something to you. All right. I want to want you to see this. Listen carefully to what I have to say. These people are not drunk. I know they're acting very crazy and very excited. They are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. They, don't, they ain't even had time to get drunk yet. He says, no, this is what was spoken. In other words, this is a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy that was fulfilled that day. And I want you to hear this is still being fulfilled, wants to be fulfilled in your life and in today's church as well. And now he quotes the Old Testament. So it says in the last days. So it hadn't happened yet, but 
as, as, the, as the return of Christ gets near, you're going to see more of this. In the last days, God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people. What's that going to look like? He's going to say it. He says, he says your sons, here's, here's what it looks like. Your sons and daughters will, say this next word out loud. Every voice will. Let me give you one more chance because that was pretty good, but I know you can do better. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. You're going to see some things uh, outside of reality. You're going to see things even before. Yeah, we're going to have to do some cleanup work here. And the reason why is because in Peter's sermon on the great day of Pentecost, he was making it very clear that what they were seeing was the fulfillment of that prophecy. And if you heard Chris Hodge talk, he made it sound like that that prophecy was somehow prophesying that in the last days there's going to be an increase in in prophecy and dreams. Now, Jesus says <laughs> at the end of times, as, as his uh, imminent return becomes even more imminent, that uh, there will be an increase in false prophets and false dreamers of dreams. So, yeah, let me back this up just a little bit because I, I want you to hear that again. Listen again. Let me give you one more chance because that was pretty good, but I know you can do better. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. You're going to see some things uh, outside of reality. You're going to see things even before they happen. You'll see things clearer. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Notice with me that the three things that the Holy, that God says the Holy Spirit's going to do, his main mark on the church. Now notice he's making it sound like the the Holy Spirit's gonna, he hasn't started to, but he's gonna, but that's not how Peter talks. Now, let me read out part of uh, Acts 2 here. Acts 2.14, Peter standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and he addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And so he reads out the prophecy. And so he says, in the last days, it, it shall be. God declares that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, which is exactly what had taken place there in Jerusalem. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Prophesy means to speak, you know, the, the words of God. There, you can you can receive words from God directly from God, or you can receive words from God via the written Bible. And when you proclaim the oracles of God found in the written scriptures, you're still in the real sense prophesying. And your old men shall see visions. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I'll pour out my spirit that they shall prophesy. And so then he goes on at verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty words and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So the purpose of pointing people to the prophecy of Joel, that Peter pointed out that it was fulfilled in their hearing. Now, men in the NAR, and I think Chris Hodges is in the NAR. I really honestly believe he is. 
uh, men in the NAR think that this is a prophecy that that has, still has a remainder. You know that 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 the hallmark of the end times is going to be that people are going to be are going to be dreaming dreams and stuff like that. And, and so he's going to teach you how to dream dream again, because in order to you know so that you can fulfill the remaining part of uh, Joel chapter two. But what he's doing is twisting this text. Isn't going to be some of the things that maybe you thought it would be. No, my main job, the Holy Spirit says, my main job is I want you to see things the way God sees them. I want you to see your family, your job, your neighborhood, your, your city. What does that mean, to see things the way God sees them? What are you talking about? Your state, your world. You've got to see through the lens of God. And God wants to show you some things, not to make you some kind of special person. No, no, no. God wants to show you so that you can be proactive in in being some of the solution to what's going on. I personally think there's a lot of chaos going on in the earth. There's moral chaos. People are confused. It's, It's getting worse in my mind. And I think what God does as a remedy to that is he shows his church what to do. In fact, I believe when all hell breaks loose on the earth, people are going to look for people who see clearly. Can I get a good amen, everybody? So apparently uh, God is going to you know, give Christians the ability to see clearly during the chaos. So, and, and that is received direct revelation of clarity in the last days. That's not what Joel uh, was prophesying, nor does that have anything to do with the day of Pentecost and what Peter said as he cited Joel's prophecy. I really believe that. So this is like, this is mission critical. And even on my servants, both men and women, I'm going to pour out my spirit. So this isn't going to be like, okay, the pastor has vision and so-and-so has, they can see stuff. No, no, no. Everybody. I need my whole church to have vision and they will prophesy. Watch this. And I will show wonders. Like when they see it, God says, and then I can meet it. I can match it. And they'll see signs on the earth. And then you get the, what do you mean? God can meet it and match it once they see it. That's not what the text says. Notice he just inserted words and concepts into the text that are not there. The mission accomplished, which, which is everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's what that's his main motivation for it. I need my church to see some things. I want to speak to you on the subject just for a few minutes today on the subject of dreams vision. And I want you to live your life. Look in my eyes and hear this. I want you to live your life full of excitement about what God is doing in your life, through your life. I want you to see the world around you through the lens that God has. And what's going to happen is it's going to bring vibrancy to your Christian walk. Some of you, you're going to heaven. You love God, but man, you, it's going to bring vibrancy to my Christian walk. What are you talking about? Now, I'm going to back this up just a smidge because I want you to hear this. This is part of the false narrative of the NAR and charismatics that, yeah, you're going to heaven, but you're missing out if you aren't prophesying and stuff. Yeah, if God wanted me to prophesy, like for real, he would have given me that gift. And if God wanted to reveal things to me, he can reveal them to me all he wants. It's not dependent upon me. I want you to see the world around you through the lens that God has. And what's going to happen is it's going to bring vibrancy to your Christian walk. Some of you, you're going to heaven. You love God. But man, you are bored stiff right now. I mean, you kind of know what's going on. You come to church. I bet I know what song they sing next. And oh, yeah, got the T-shirt about that one. You know, and you just you kind of been there, done that. And it's getting a little bit too, you know, mundane for you. I can't want anything more for you. In fact, I would say 
that dreams and visions, now watch this, is really what faith is. Let me say it this way. If you're not excited about something. No, faith, the Greek word pistis, is trust. It's not prophecy. It's trust. Dreams and visions are not faith. He just made a complete uh, travesty here by redefining faith, not in any kind of a sense that you can say is biblical, jives with the original Greek or anything like that. He just made up his own definition to fit his own theology. Aiming towards something, have a vision or a dream towards something, you don't have faith. We say, Pastor, that's a strong statement. No, that's what the Bible says. Faith, faith is. So let me define faith, the Bible says. It's the substance of things hoped for. If you don't have a hope, you don't have faith. It's the evidence of things not seen. Yeah, I do have a hope, the hope of eternal life. And I have faith in Christ for the forgiveness of my sins, which, by the way, is what Hebrews is literally talking about in all of the pages preceding uh, the, 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 the chapter he's, a, he's reading in Hebrews 11. In other words, you're operating in, in, a, in, a, in a hope and a dream. And I'm going to tell you, that's when life gets exciting again. I want to help. I want to help you. Yeah, I'm sorry. Hebrews 11 does not have anything to do with uh, operating in a hope or a dream. If we're talking about receiving a dream for this life, it's the hope of eternal life. With this little bit. Back in 2008, um, I, I was asked by my friend, and I'm not name dropping. He just really is a friend and a mentor, uh, Dr. John Maxwell, who's the, the greatest, considered to be the greatest leadership guru on the planet. Um, he just, he's, he's an amazing friend, almost like a father to me. Uh, back in 2008, he was celebrating, in, in, I think it was January, celebrating his uh, 61st birthday and he wanted to put a gathering of a couple of buddies to play some golf for a couple of days. So he invited me down. Of course, you know, I, I did what I had to do. You know what I everybody? So I went down uh, to play a little golf with him and, and we had a good time. And, but in the evening he wanted to go to have dinner and then he wanted to go to a movie. And I'm not, and that's like the last thing I would pick on my to-do list. I, I'm not a movie person. I, I may, I might see one a year. It's just not a, it's not a thing for me, but he said, Oh, I want to go to a movie and it's his party. So I said, we said, okay, and when we got there, he wanted to see this movie that had just come out called The Bucket List. Now, I can't really recommend it. Can I tell you that right now after seeing it? But but because uh, it's got some stuff in there. But anyway, uh, it's his party. I'm, I'm there. And and um, and if you don't know the story, it's about these two guys in the hospital dying of cancer. And one guy was making a list of things he wanted to do before he kicks the bucket, a bucket list. And the other guy was very wealthy. And he said, look. He saw his list. He said, look, man, I can afford all that. Let's, let's die jumping out of airplanes and having some fun. Let's do all the things you want to do. And so they go on this journey, and that's when the bad stuff happens, by the way. But anyway, um, but the moral of the story, actually, it ended up being a great movie because they realized that all the things that were on that list that they thought were, would really satisfy you, thrill things like jumping out of an airplane or going fast in a car, you know, it was fun, but it wasn't fulfilling. There are a lot of you guys pursuing fun stuff and you're finding out it's fun, but it's not fulfilling. There has to be more. There's got to be more, by the way. And so anyway, they, they find out that really there were some more significant things like putting your family back together, which that happens in the movie and some cool stuff like that. Well, anyway, after the movie, being the consummate leadership teacher that John Maxwell is, he, he, he challenges all of us guys in the car. Do y'all have a bucket list? And I did not. In fact, let me ask the question. Everybody participate. Come on, be honest. How many of you have a written bucket list? Raise your hand, raise your hand. Okay, it's about... Now, I just got to ask the question. Is he legitimately trying to say 
that having a bucket list is the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy about dreaming? Please tell me that's not his point. 3% of the population of Grants Mill, all right? Hopefully that's going to change after today's message. And I said, well, no, I don't, I, don't have no, I don't have a bucket list. And John says, go to the hotel room tonight and start working on it. And I came up with nine things in my first draft. Today, my bucket list has over 75 items on it. Things I want to do. I keep adding to it and I keep crossing things out that I'm getting. Oh, a- this guy practices what he preaches. I mean, he's fulfilling Joel's prophecy about dreaming dreams. He has 75 things on his bucket list. Do you really think that's what Peter and Joel were referring to? Accomplished. I can't tell you how much fun I'm having with it. So several years after that, it was about seven years after that, I did a series in 2015. You can go back and watch it called Dream Again. And I first told you about my bucket list three years ago in the summer. And I also mentioned that when you put a bucket list together, I'm going to tell you again, in case you weren't there, there's a tension. And here's the tension, and that is, do you put things on the list that you know have no chance of happening? And let me just answer the question for you. Yes, because we serve a God who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think. And that- oh, Man, now he's misquoting Ephesians. Did the Apostle Peter have a bucket list? Did Jesus have a bucket list? How about Paul? Um, where in scripture are we told to have a bucket list? That's not what Joel's talking about in Acts 2. That's not just a great preacher verse. It's true. So I say that. So I'm teaching this. And I say, for instance, I have something on my list. It can't, it's impossible. It can't happen. And that is back in, when I was in, in Colorado Springs, in my early years of ministry, I used to, I did a religion class at the Air Force Academy. They don't even allow that class anymore. But I taught religion at the Air Force Academy while I was a youth pastor in Colorado Springs. I fell in love with all things Air Force. So forever I had been dreaming of taking a ride, being a passenger in, because they used to have a program, a civilian ride program in like an F-16 jet. And they normally would only like, like let senators and representatives ride. But they've actually, I researched it and they discontinued the program completely. You can't, you can't do it. But I said three years ago, I'm leaving it on the list. I mean, it's staying there, right? (laughs) Well, in that exact service, sitting right in the middle, right in front of the cameras right here at Grant's Mill, were two colonels sitting next to each other. And they looked at each other and said, hey, let's see if we can make this happen for PC. That's what they call me, Pastor Chris, PC. And so (laughs) I didn't know. I didn't know this was going on. I didn't know that for the next five months, they vetted me through the Pentagon. They physically went to the Pentagon and pleaded their case to vet me through the, y'all, I passed the Pentagon. If you ever worried about your pastor, there you go. All right, relax. All right. So, <laughs> and so, so they did all this. I didn't even know what was going on. They show up six months later at our, our Christmas services in full military dress with a letter. And when they walk up, I see them and I'm going, don't you mess with me. Are you serious? Is this getting ready to happen? And they said, Pastor Chris, on behalf of the Secretary of Defense of the United States of America, we hereby formally invite you to be a part of this civilian ride program. If, if you can pass the physical exam, of course, you can look at me and tell that's going to happen. So anyway, <laughs> next, go to the next thing, you know, whatever, you know, and, and, and if you can pass the training, which by the way, I did the training and it's ejection seat training. That's the only training they give you how to end the flight. Anyway, so uh, 
which is a very comforting thought. But anyway, I, so I, uh, so a couple months later in February, I did all this training and passed the, passed the test they wanted me to. And in the February of 2016, uh, I got to ride in an F 16. We did, we did, uh, we did an hour, half. I, I flew it for 15 minutes. He said, Pastor Chris, take the wheel. I'm like, are you serious? And I was just leaned it over a little bit and leaned it back. He goes, no brother, hit it. I'm bam. And I hit that thing and spun that bad boy. Come on y'all. And, uh, it was, it was a thrilling, it was a thrilling thing on the ride back in the car from Montgomery back to Birmingham. I'm telling you, I, I'm not making this up. I, I repented to God and I said, sorry, sir, for saying in front of thousands of people, something that cannot happen. I will never, after I use the word right now, I will never say never again to you. Never. I'm I'm not going to. Yeah, um, what does this have to do with Joel's prophecy? Having a bucket list and uh, being able to, you know, fly in the civilian ride-along program in an F-16. That's that. This has nothing to do with Christianity. This has nothing to do with the proclamation of Christ and Him crucified for our sins. Read the rest of Acts. I already started pointing out that Peter then immediately after saying this was the prophecy of Joel, it's fulfilled in your in your sight, he then preaches Christ and him crucified for their sins. They're convicted of their sins. And they say, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, the promises for you and for your children. That's, that's the end result of this. What does Chris Hodges writing in an F-16 have to do with Jesus Christ crucified for the forgiveness of our sins? Answer, absolutely nothing. Never. I'm, I'm not going to say this cannot happen. Come on, somebody. That's right. And God used that silly little plane ride, really, you know, just that's not... No, that's just a fun thing to do. But God used that to stretch my faith that day. I want to stretch your faith to dream, big dreams. There are five types of people in the room right now that are watching this. The first person... You, you, you want to stretch my faith to dream big dreams. Again, this has nothing whatsoever to do with Acts chapter 2 or the prophecy of Joel. Person ...is the person who has no dream, none at all. Uh, you, you just, you're just kind of in survival mode. You're, you're paying bills and hoping the kids will behave a little bit. You're, 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 you're not even thinking about what ifs. You're just, you're just such in a survival mode. And for some of you, it's gotten critical because you've gotten depressed. Life is mundane. There's nothing you're aiming for. Remember, Our good works are done in the mundane. Remember, you have no faith if you have no hope. And for some of you, even Christianity, you love God. You're going to heaven. Did you catch that? You, you, you don't have faith if you don't have a hope. Talking about a bucket list. Oh, my. But, brother, you're just kind of paddling all the way because there's nothing stirring on the inside of you. Pastor Chris, what do I do if I have no dream? The Bible's very clear. Call to me. Talk to me. Spend, spend time with God, connect with God, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you don't currently know about your kids and your city and your world. I'll show you some stuff. God's going to show me great and mighty things about my kids? 
Again, which biblical text says any of this? You should know God. God wants to give you a picture. I'm going to tell you a little secret. For some of you, your whole prayer time is getting God to come down to you. No, no, no. God said, no, no, no. Let me pull you up to me. We are seated with... Again, do you have a biblical text that says this? Christ in heavenly places. He, you know, prayer is not informing God about our reality. Prayer is our opportunity to see God's reality. Say amen right there. That's, that's an important... Which biblical text says that? Jesus said to his disciples when they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. He said, when you pray, say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Notice we're asking God for things. There's petitions in here. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. You see, I don't see anything in there about what he just said about prayer. Part of prayer. And some of you, you need to, you need to get in there and just talk to God and let him show you some things. I don't know if you realize this or not, but we've got a speaking God. John chapter 10 says he speaks to his sheep and his sheep know his voice. I want to encourage you. Yeah, that's a twisting of John chapter 10. That is not a promise that all Christians are going to hear the audible voice of God. Have times with God and let him, let him lift you and encourage you today. The, the, this is the person with no dream. Second kind of person that might be here today is person that has, you have a dream, it's just the wrong dream. And it's not wrong in that it's bad. It could actually be good. It's a good thing. It's just not a God thing. So for some of you are dreaming about things, there's nothing wrong with this, like making money. That's fine. You can have a dream about that, but you need more. You were designed for more than that. It's okay for you to have a job. It's just not okay for you to think that that's what your life is all about. You, you, you need to understand that whenever you go after career or compensation, that's something to live on. But when you have a calling, you have something to live for. It's a big difference. Back in, um, uh, yeah, praise God for that. If you believe that's really true. Come on, put your hands together and praise God for that. You kind of wanted to. You, you were kind of hung there. and I think that's good. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, again, notice, nobody here is being convicted of their actual sins. Uh, apparently, the sin here is not dreaming big enough. Back when I was a student at LSU, I, I'd gone into LSU to be an accountant, to follow in my father's footsteps. Uh, he's a, my dad was an auditor, and so I, went, I, had an, I was an accounting major, and I'm, and, and I'm very good at math. I'm not good at any of the other subjects, but I'm good with numbers, and I always have been. So I had a goal to you know, uh, go, go and get um, my, my bachelor's degree. I was going to get an MBA and be a CPA and just make money being an accountant in the accounting field. Between my sophomore and junior year at LSU, the church that I was attending hired me for the summer to be a summer intern. Just paid me a little stipend to, to you know, help with the camps and help with the missions trips for the, for the youth group. And I was happy to do it, but I got bit by the ministry bug really badly. I'm like, man, I this doesn't even feel like a job. This feels like... This is fun. They'll pay me to do this. I love this. So when, when I went back um, to my, for my junior year, man, I was really miserable. And I didn't do very well anymore because I had get, been given this vision, this dream for my life. And by the way, I'm not necessarily saying you need to quit your job or you, where you're headed in school. I'm just saying this is my story. This is how God spoke to me. So I went and talked to my parents 
And, I, and my pastor, and I said, I think I'm supposed to, I think I'm supposed to be in ministry. And they both agreed and I wasn't going to do it if they didn't agree. And, and, and then I, I started working at 20 years old in full-time ministry while I was a full-time student in a Bible college and it changed my life. But I remember that, that that's been, my goodness, 35 years ago now. And, and, and I don't feel like I've ever gone to work a day in my life because I found something that I live for. And that's why we want even you guys keep your job. That's fine. But that's, we have a dream team and we even called it dreams because we want you involved in something that connects with why you were created. You can have a, you can have a career, but you also need a calling. Amen, everybody. It's very important. Third kind of person that's out there today is somebody who has, you have a dream and it's even a good one. It just, it's, it's, it's barely flickering. Uh, it's, it's, it's losing some passion. I mean, you're, you're burning with something, you know, God spoke to you, but boy, has it ever died out? And it probably died out because it's probably been delayed. You feel like God has just kind of not paying much attention to you anymore. And you find yourself kind of in a stale dream. Now, if this makes you feel any better, I go through cycles and seasons of this. In fact, that's why I take breaks because I find myself working so hard. I kind of forget why I was doing everything. And I go and get some rest and spend time with God and let people pour into me for a few weeks. And I come back ready to go bear hunting with a switch. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, all of a sudden, and I'm I'm so fired up today, I can't hardly stand it. I'm just so happy. Yeah, again, notice he's exegeting his life, not a biblical text. None of this is taught in scripture. Happy to be back. Back in 2012, I was probably at one of my lowest times as a pastor. We had just finished burying Tammy's mom. And two years before that, I buried my dad. And then a year before that, we buried her dad. So in two years, we lost three of our four parents. And not only am I going through the grieving process, but I'm also doing the funerals and trying to be a leader while others are coming in. And I preached all those funerals. And, you know, just it was just it was hard, to be honest with you. And at the end of all that, I was tired. It's probably one of the lowest I have been uh, in, in history here. And whenever I found that happens... I kind of lack vision. In fact, it's easier. It was easy for me because the church was working so well, and it always has, honestly, just to put it in cruise control and just back off and just let it ride. Well, that's never good. And so I went to the Hillsong Conference in Sydney, Australia in 2012. And I'm going to tell you, in just one week, I felt lifted. I felt, I mean, because they meet in this 26,000-seat arena. It's just, I don't know. It's like my mind got big again. My God got big again. And I was so excited when I, when I was flying back on that long 15-hour flight from Sydney back to Los Angeles. I couldn't sleep. And you really need to sleep on flights like that. And I just, I was excited. And I got a piece of paper out and I put at the top of the page, big vision, big vision. And I started dreaming. Highlands was doing great. But I started dreaming things that I thought were massive. I actually have the actual, the actual document right here in my hands. I printed it out. I've typed it out. My handwritten. I've typed it out. This is exactly it. And I sat there and I dreamed. I dreamed. I dreamed a few things. I dreamed the church in 2012 was nine million dollars in debt. We borrowed one time to build the Grants Mill facility because we had to get out of the high school. And we owe $9 million. Uh, Auburn, the Auburn campus was meeting at a furniture store. And I thought, man, we need to get them into a building. And I put down there $12 million for that, which it didn't cost that. It cost a little over $20 million. But anyway, that's, um, uh, then I thought I, we want to, we want to, we just bought this building for Greystone campus, but it needed $4 million of improvements because it was just an office building that needed to become a church. 
And then Tuscaloosa was meeting at the Bryant Conference Center, and they needed land and building. And I put down $12 million, but I was way off. But that's what I put down. What does any of this have to do with the day of Pentecost? Answer, nothing. He's totally misunderstood what was meant by dreaming dreams. And then Montgomery needed land and building. They were growing. I put $12 million. And then I put on their Highlands Lodge. <laughs> the Highlands Lodge, uh, I thought was going to be a, a training center for pastors and leaders and for Highlands College. So I put $15 million. And then I wanted to build the chapel because we needed a place. These buildings aren't great for funerals and weddings. These one buildings we and we needed a place to serve you guys. And the total of the debt, the five buildings and the Highlands Lodge was going to be seventy million dollars. I went, that's a lot. And so I started doing the math in my calculator. I thought, well, at four million dollars a year, we could do it in sixteen years. Six years later, not 16, we are completely out of debt. We built every one of those buildings twice as big as we thought we would. And instead of a $15 million building for Highlands Lodge, God gave us a building worth over $100 million on Highway 280. Now give God all the praise. Come on, everybody. Six years and completely debt-free, completely don't owe a thing. Yeah, praise God. And again, I learned a lesson. That just get it up, get it down there and just start dreaming big dreams for God. Here's another one. The fourth person is a person who has a vague dream, a vague one. So it's a good one. It's just not specific enough. And you've not gone through, hear me, hear me. You've not gone through the exercise of making a list. Make a list. Write it down. Yeah, which of the epistles did uh, Paul tell, uh, you know, his, the, you know Christians, like in like the, the Church of Rome or maybe Galatia, to sit down and write out their dream lists. Could you tell me which text that occurs in? Down, write it down, write it down. If you don't do anything else after this message but this one, you're welcome. Because this is an important one. Write it. I can't tell you how powerful it is once it goes hard on a piece of paper or somewhere where you can read it. And that's not a thus saith the Chris. That's a thus saith the Lord. Write- yeah, really, where does God say that? Write the vision down. Write what I revealed to you so that you can run. You'll run more toward it. By the way, that's a twisting of the prophet Habakkuk. When you go and you read that in context, you will note that uh, what's really going on there in Habakkuk is that God is saying, write the vision down so the one who reads it will run away because it's a vision regarding God's judgment against Israel. And if it's Habakkuk t- uh, chapter 2. It says, I'll take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it, like run away, like flee. For, I, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. But if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. And so that's a prophecy of God's judgment for Israel's sin. And, you know, Chris Hodges and many other people now are twisting this text, saying, so when God speaks in your heart, write it down so that you can, like, run like the wind, bullseye. But that's not what this text says at all. If it's on paper, are y'all listening to me, everybody? This is not just a great exercise. This is a God command. Write 
the vision down. I want you to go home today, find some time, start you a bucket list, put some fun things on there. But put some God things on there and start dreaming. Yeah, no joke. So God's commanding you to write a bucket list because he's twisted Habakkuk 2 too. Unbelievable. Some big dreams. Put it on paper and watch your God do great things. If you believe it, say a good amen, everybody. I told you I have 75 items on my list. And one of those I've been saving for and planning for three years. I did it during my break. Tammy and I forever have wanted to go on, and it was one of my items to go on a Mediterranean cruise. And so we, we, find, we were able to do it. We invited two of my pastor buddies, uh, Rick Bizet and Randy Bizet and their wives. So six of us went on, the, went on this cruise and I got to mark it off. But while I was on the cruise, I discovered that the cruise was going to allow me to do another bucket list item. That what we were port, I did not know this, but we were going to port in Naples, Italy as one of our stops. And just a one-hour little boat ride you can take from Naples out into the Mediterranean Sea. It's this little island of Capri, the Isle of Capri. And, and this Isle of Capri has there something I knew was there because I like studying this kind of stuff. One of the natural wonders of the world called the Blue Grotto. All around this. So maybe the reason why the Apostle Paul was traveling via ship on his way to prison in Rome was so that he could cross off his bucket list, Mediterranean cruise. I mean, this is unbelievable. Little island are these little caves, no taller than my waist to the ground and about this wide. And the water, the, the, the water is so blue in the way the sun shines, it illuminates the bottom floor of the, the, the sea like it's plugged into power. I mean, it's, in fact, I brought a picture of the blue grotto. This is, the, this is what it looks like inside one of those caves. And I wonder if the Apostle Paul was able to get the blue grotto off of his bucket list. You know, because God commands us to write a bucket list down because, you know, dream dreams and stuff and Habakkuk too. When you get there by boat, there's little guys in canoes and you pay them a euro or two to get in their boat. And they have you lay down and he, even the guy in the little canoes lays down and they pull you into the hole like this. And you get to go see what this, this wonder, you can see the opening over there uh, on the far right. Well, we get there and I'm telling my boat ride, don't go to Capri first. Uh, Grotto Azura, Grotto Azura, you know, like this blue grotto. He didn't speak a lick of English, you know, and, and that's all I knew was blue grotto in, in, in Italian. Like he's okay, 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 Grotto Azura. So we pull over there, we get there, they shut the operation down. The seas were so high, it was slamming up over the opening of the hole and it was too dangerous to go in those canoes. And he said, no Azura, no Azura. I'm like, yes, Azura, I come too far. <laughs> And, um, and so, so I motioned to him, come to Azura swim, Azura. Can I swim Azura? He goes, oh, see, see, see. Like, okay. And so I took a look at Rick and Randy. I said, you can come in with me if you want. If you don't, I'm going to call you names the rest of your life. I'll tell you that. But you come in here if you want, but I'm, and I, and we, uh, we, the three guys dove into the Mediterranean Sea and I got, I got a picture. You want to see a picture of it? Here's the picture. It's the three heads. You can see that's me. Right, you can see that's me right there in the middle. Cause you see my little sunroof right there, everybody. Right. And, and we, we went into the blue Azura and saw this thing. And I'm going to tell you, I would have never done that had it not been on that paper. That paper made me do something, y'all. I'm just not the type that jumps into seas. Right. See, God wants you to have an amazing 
bucket list experience too. I mean, because that's what Joel was talking about, you know, dream dreams and stuff. Can y'all listen to me, everybody? I was salty and wet the rest of the day, you know, and I didn't bring a change of clothes because I thought I was going in this way, not that way. And it makes you do things. I want to encourage you. If you find yourself needing the dream, here's the right kind of a dream. And that is a God honoring, culture defying, heaven impacting, seemingly impossible dream. How does a Mediterranean cruise fit that description? Yeah. How did your Mediterranean cruise in the, you know, the blue sea experience there, how did that change the world and define culture and stuff? I'm not seeing it. Let me take those one at a time. A God-honoring dream. Thank thank God for F-16s and blue grottos. But 80% of my bucket list is, God, I want to do some great things for you. I've asked God. I've, I've got God to do things that if I told you, you'd laugh probably at me. But I'm telling you, God's put dreams in my heart for this church and for the number of people we're going to reach. Man, I have a dream to, to place thousands of students out of Highlands College into full-time ministry. I have a dream to help 2,000 churches break, 1,000 churches break 1,000 in attendance. I have have a dream to plant 2,000 churches all across America. We're at 774 exactly. I mean, I just, they're they're just dream. And and, and because the other numbers there, it just makes you go towards something. But that's not for our fame. I'm doing it for one reason. I want to hear, well done, Chris. Well done, good and faithful servant. You think that you're going to hear Jesus say, well done, because you check things off your bucket list. Wow. Okay. Um, My passion for Jesus. I I want a a dream that's culture defying. I'm not going to allow those who say it can't stop me. I thank God for our founding fathers on this 242nd birthday of America who who defied a king and a country to come bring a, a, create a new nation where people could worship freely. I thank God for culture defying leaders like Martin Luther King Jr. who said, man, not on my watch. It's got to change. I mean, culture Define a heaven impacting dream that my life, listen to me, my life needs to show up in heaven. Not just me show, I'm going to go there, you're going to go there, but I want my life's work to show up there too. And that's why how you live your life, everybody, treasures in heaven, treasures in heaven, you're welcome. You're going you're gonna to get there and go, oh, I'm so glad that old crazy Cajun pastor convinced me. Treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven. Make sure a lot of your life isn't spent here, that it's invested there. Can I get an amen, everybody? Yeah. And finally, a seemingly impossible dream. I want something for every one of you that feels daring. Like it feels like you're jumping out of an airplane without a parachute. Oh my God, you have to show up. I want something. I would love for every one of you to dream about something that God has to show up in order for it to happen. Uh, 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 where your friends go, you're doing what? You're praying about what? I had the other day, it was literally two weeks ago, I was sharing vision about Highlands College that I haven't even shared with you yet. Because I, 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 it's great. It's great as it is. We don't do anything else. It's, it's an incredible institution. But I have a dream. And because of my work at the Air Force Academy, I love, I love how military academies are, are formed and how they operate. Because what they do at West Point or wherever these, these academies are, they attract the best and the brightest. 
And you have to fight to get those few spots to get there. I mean, you have to get congressional appointment, all this kind of, I mean, it's, it's tough. But if you get in, the U.S. government pays your tuition fully. And, and they do that because they don't need you off campus working at Starbucks for a couple hours. They need you 16 hours a day being trained. And, and it, 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 it's more than a classroom. It's, it's, and I, I see Highlands College being that one day. I, I see us training a thousand, make, make tens of thousands of, of young people fight for a thousand spots. And then, and, then, and, then, and then train them in character formation, spiritual development, ministry skills, as well as academics. And just get them, I mean, special forces. Like, where the best leaders in the Christian world are coming out of this, this institution. But in order to do that, I want to do it, I want to do it one day as a dream. I, don't, I want to do it tuition free. So I asked my, uh, the trustees of the church, I said, what would it take? What would it take? And they said, oh, I'd take an endowment of $82 million. I'm like, oh, that's a lot. And um, <laughs> I said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to believe God for it. And that's, I don't know if we'll get there, but that's the trajectory we're on. So I was sharing this with a lady just a couple weeks ago. And I was saying, man, I just had this dream. She goes, oh, pastor, I don't know about that. And I said, well, you know, you probably won't be on my intercessory team then. You know what I'm saying? Like. <laughs> Good chance I'm not going to ask you to play that role, you know, and because I need some people who say God is able to do exceedingly abundantly. Come on above all that we can ask or imagine. He's already done more than I thought he could do. Isn't that right? Hasn't he done more? He's done, he's done more than I thought he would ever do. So why not? Yeah, yelling doesn't make it so that that verse means anything regarding what you just said. I don't know if it'll ever happen, but we're going to go toward it, everybody. And I want to stir you today. I want to close with a beautiful story out of God's word, a beautiful Bible story. Listen to this. Just let it sink into your heart. In Mark chapter 8, it says, They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man. Now, I know this was a literal blind man, but I happen to believe that these Bible stories have spiritual truth for the situations we face. And you may not be Hugh sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God, the Holy Spirit, is now descending on the audience, uh, getting ready to help them make decisions of one kind or another. Apparently, the decision that God, the Holy Spirit, wants people to make right now is the decision to dream big and to write a bucket list. Physically blind. There's a bunch of you. Listen, look. You can see. But you can't see anything. You're blind. You, you have no passion, no energy, no, it's just not there. And he was blind. And they begged Jesus to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. By the way, sometimes when God wants to show you big things, you got to get away from the naysayers. And Je- so, Jesus- so the reason why Jesus took him outside the village is to get away from the naysayers. Really? So look, we have to get away from all these people that they're not going to think I can do what I'm getting ready to do. And when he had spit on the man's eyes, I think that is so funny that Jesus did that, by the way. Because they wanted him to lay his hands on him. Jesus goes, <laughs> I can imagine the people who brought the blind man going, no, not this. Yeah. You know, sometimes Jesus, God will do things differently than what you think he should do it. 
And, and if you don't like the mess, you probably can't get the miracle. I'm just going to say, you know, there's. If you don't like the mess, you can't get the miracle. Really? There's just a little bit of that in there. But he put his hands on him and said, Jesus said, and watch this. Do you see anything? And the guy said, I see people and they look like trees walking around. Now, here's a great question. If the guy was blind, how does he know what trees look like? It could only be one thing. And that is he used to be able to see. And he lost his eyesight. And I think there are some of you in here today. I mean, really? So because this guy, according to Chris Hodges, at one time was able to see because he could describe what a tree is. Now, he, he, you know, he, you know, so this is an allegory about those who had vision but lost the vision. And now they got to get their vision back so that they can dream big. Unbelievable. You used to be fired up. You used to have passion. You used to have vision. But, but you've lost your eyesight. And it's not totally gone. You just have tree sight. And tree sight's better than being blind. But, it's, but you know there's, but it's, you know it's not as good as it could be. And there's, there's some of you that you come to church. That's why we call it Church of the Highlands, by the way. Because there's more. I know you're here, but why don't you come here? Oh, you, you're there? Now come here. Oh, come see the view from here. We, we dreamed of taking people higher heights. Just keep climbing. Keep taking next steps. God wants to show you more. And then the next two words are huge. Watch this. Because Jesus, after Jesus laid his hands on him, the Bible says, once more. Some of you have had a touch from heaven. You had a touch from God. But you need him to do it again. And I'm here to announce today that we serve the God of the once more. Once, once again, he, he helped you before, he'll help you again. He fixed it before, he'll fix it again. Total twisting of this gospel text. It's absurd what he's doing with it. Again, he spoke to you before. Come on, somebody. He'll speak to you again. Isn't that right? He's the God of the do it again. That's, that's what he does. And he put his hands on the man's eyes and his eyes were open and his sight was restored. And here's my prayer. He saw his family. He saw his city. He saw his world. He saw his church. He saw his purpose. Clearly. Open your hands. Really, where in the text does it say he saw his purpose clearly? Hands right there before the Lord. Let me pray that over you. Father, help. Done. Wow. What a complete and utter train wreck. Every biblical text, he completely mangled and mangled in ways that are just obviously absurd, shallow and off topic and missing the point. Yet everybody there thought, oh, this is so profound. I mean, they should have figured it out then when he was talking about the importance of a God sized dream and then talked about a Mediterranean cruise. It, it, it <laughs> It's if somehow a Medi- you know, people who go on Mediterranean cruises are there because they are dreaming God-sized dreams. I mean, the whole thing from beginning to end was absurd. And a complete twisting of God's word had nothing to do at all with what Scripture really says. And everybody there slurped it up. And, of course, he's a mega church pastor of many, many multi-sites down in Alabama. But not a single one of them is preaching the truth. Man.
that isn't indicative of what's gone wrong in the church today, then I, I don't know what is. So, and we heard nothing about Jesus and him crucified for our sins, need to repent, be forgiven, or anything like that. Utterly tragic. So what do you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Christian. Until tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.